Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is David Benjamin, your host of the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in to the 43rd episode of the podcast. Today we have a former stand-up comic on the show, believe it or not, and I think this will be probably one of the funner episodes because two people with a sense of humor only adds more humor to the equation, mathematically speaking. And our guest is he's, he's a really interesting kind of dynamic character who learned how to basically film and create his own documentaries from scratch, and he's actually uh, he shot his own documentary he he was the director producer editor literally every phase and step of the process he was involved in uh, and he created something truly unique really authentic and really engaging that helps you to see what's going on in our world today uh, and how different chemicals and and substances in our environment and our food and our planet are affecting our health and well-being so today we have on the show ed brown he grew up in the small town of altoona pennsylvania after graduate, graduating, he went to become a double major at Shippensburg University and then moved on to work as a highlight writer for CBS Sports in New York City. Throughout his travels, he taught himself how to become a filmmaker and through two personal tragedies, he taught himself to become a journalist. He's the creator of the Unacceptable Levels documentary, which you can learn more at or about at unacceptablelevels.com. Ed, how are you doing today? I'm great, David. How are you, buddy? I'm doing really well, a lot better than I was yesterday and a lot better than the day before that, so I can't complain. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. I wanted to start this interview and ask you, how, how did you get into this world of, of uh, not filmmaking or chemicals, because I think, you know, that is, as you become a parent, I think that even kind of becomes a natural byproduct to some degree, but how did you get into the world of seeing things differently and, and looking at health and chemicals in a way that... Um, became of importance and relevance to you enough to actually dedicate time to create a film about it? Well, that's a great question. And basically what it comes down to for myself and anyone else, uh, whenever you sit back, I'm, I'm a curious individual. I, I don't like to just sit back and accept what somebody tells me as being the truth, and I don't like to necessarily assume anything. Um, and from from my own personal background, uh, I was at CBS Sports where – when an, an, an editor sitting there uh, was eating only organic food and everything that was brought into CBS was catered. And uh, I asked him one morning, I said, Larry, why are you eating all, you know, all this organic food? Isn't that expensive? And he looked at me with this really perplexed look and he said, well, so, yeah, that's expensive, but so is a heart attack. And it was right after that, I thought that that's a pretty good way of looking at it, you know, I think that's fair. If I can avoid that heart attack by making better choices, I'd like to do that. So it was right after that, 1999, that I started changing the way that I did everything uh, as far as the food I was eating and stuff like that. And then, you know, and then I started to broaden that whenever I met my wife, and I really started to work on that whenever I started having children. Interesting. So tell us a little bit about your, your sports writing and, and how did that come about? I mean, is that just a passion of yours and that kind of grew into something? And, and uh, Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I played football when I was in high school. I've always been a big fan of the NFL. And, and of course, I, not that anybody knows this, but I've always been a huge fan of the Seattle Seahawks, and this is kind of a high time for me, and it may not ever happen again. But anyway, so I got into sports writing uh, just because my my degrees kind of lended it to that, and I showed up at, at CBS every single day early, and I showed that I was I was dedicated to it, and uh, I I stuck around later than anybody else, and so I 
kind of worked my way up there. And I'll tell you what, nothing is more crazy than working in live television. And whenever 9 to 14 million people are going to be listening to something you write, it better be correct. And and thankfully, I didn't screw up too much. And not that anybody noticed, at least uh, any, any of the individuals watching it. But, um, yeah, you know, I got into sports just because I was – I liked it. I enjoyed sports. I still enjoy sports. And uh, – but it wasn't always my passion, and it wasn't really what I always wanted to do with my life. I always wanted to be a filmmaker somehow. And uh, and here I am. I fell into documentary filmmaking, which is something I never expected. That's really cool. And that, that's interesting, too, because it's I think that you know experience in life helped you find your voice and find your ability to communicate in a really effective way. And I think that really translates into your documentary very well because it's it doesn't it doesn't have any of those... Uh, like oh I'm you know I'm watching I don't even feel like I'm watching a documentary when I saw it I was like oh like I know this guy like this you know this is my neighbor this is Ed you know it's it's really <laughs> it's really relatable it's it, you bring you bring things home it's not it's 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 really incredible actually and to, to know that you directed uh, produced and edited and really every aspect of the whole thing is really really incredible and inspiring for me because I see myself actually in the future creating uh, kind of like health based travel documentaries. Uh, so, you know, unacceptable levels. What what is that? What's the, what's the short version of of explaining that to people? Well, you know, and just to say that that's a wonderful compliment. I really appreciate it, David. And just to give anybody some advice, there isn't anything you're not capable of doing. Once you start to get, dig yourself in, it's all up to you. Your personal character is going to shine through, and there isn't anything anybody can't accomplish. If I can pull this off, I'm absolutely certain that you and anybody else that puts their mind to something can do it, and no challenge is insurmountable. Now, whenever it comes to unacceptable levels, uh, my wife had two miscarriages out of three pregnancies, and I started thinking, and we, we both started thinking as a team, because we are. We're husband and wife, and we started saying, you know, what, what is really going on out here? And I started reading the same two words over and over again. There's an acceptable level of risk associated with chemical X. And there's an acceptable level of risk with chemical Y. And I sat back and I said to myself, how on earth could anything be acceptable by your standard when it certainly isn't acceptable by my standard? Because an acceptable level of a toxic chemical isn't acceptable. And that's what people need to understand. That's really fundamentally what this film is about. When you break it down to, to bare bones, this film is suggesting flat out to everybody. I know that our system of commerce and our businesses and our government sit back and say that this is all acceptable, especially our court system, that these chemicals are acceptable to exist in our system of commerce and if they're in your body it's an acceptable level of risk how do they know what's acceptable inside of my body and how do they know what's acceptable inside of the body of my newborn son so that's really what it comes down to for all of us and that's the question that I posed and I needed to get an answer to so that's where I took a camera and I went out and it took me about two and a half years to finish principal photography it took about another year year and a half to finish editing this thing because I was doing it part-time while I was waiting tables and working two other odd jobs just to try to make ends meet. Uh, it's not like this film is some overblown Hollywood production. You're seeing a very small budget and one guy doing everything to try to get this message across to people. And I was that dedicated to it that I actually saw it through. And thankfully, here we are today where, uh, where the film's already making a difference.
That's awesome. One man army. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, cool. <laughs> well, you know, you sit back and you say, if I don't do it, who's going to? Right. Yeah. And so that's yeah. really cool. And a prime example of doing anything you want, you know, Richard Sherman. You know, what is he like? His his draft pick. He was way down the list, and look at him now. You know, so rounder. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. It's not about what what people think or think you can't do. It's about what you believe you can do, and you know, just putting putting forth effort and making it happen. Hey, I love that example. Russell Wilson's another one. I could talk about the Seahawks all day, but yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, this isn't a sports, cat, uh, sports <laughs> yeah, podcast, right. so maybe another time. Yeah. Uh, so basically, so so you started you started filming this documentary, and that's an interesting uh, you know story about how uh, you know you saw acceptable levels, and you kind of thought, wait, that doesn't make sense. Uh, and I'm I'm assuming that's how the title came about, right? Unacceptable that is levels. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, originally, it was accept- acceptable levels with a question mark, uh, but that didn't work as far as the URL was concerned, so I had to change the title to unacceptable levels. Right. I, I like unacceptable levels more. It makes you oh, it makes you wonder what's unacceptable. It's, it creates curiosity. Yeah. Uh, so, so in your documentary, and you you really just kind of walk viewers through uh, your life, and it's so personal, it's so relatable. I mean, most documentaries I see, it's it's very, you know, it's it has sort of a corporate feel. It has sort of a, you know, this is what's going on in the world kind of feel. Uh, yours has a very personal, very relatable feel. Uh, you, your kids are in the documentary. Your wife is in the documentary. You're in the documentary, and you walk viewers through a journey and looking at the different products and the different uh, systems and things in our environment and our food and our life that affect our health. What are some of those things that um, you know, in America specifically, because most of the people that listen to this, but it's really worldwide, I would Im- imagine too, and that's probably another question I have for you. But what things are we looking at, and what things did you find through through this journey that are affecting our health and well-being negatively? Well, to know that each and every one of us right now, whether you're a newborn child or you're a, a, an elderly individual into their 90s, we all have a minimum of 232 synthetic industrial chemicals inside of our bloodstream. And what those chemicals are doing to us is that they're reacting with our cells, they're you know, mimicking drugs. They have a lot of different properties dependent on the chemical that can adversely affect uh, an organism. So it's not just us and it's also to understand that polar bears and seals and other wildlife in the Arctic that certainly isn't, you know, around this stuff. Items like Teflon. To know that Teflon is in all of the the blood, the blood of uh, those types of animals as well is to also understand that these chemicals migrate. Uh, they're not just benign. They don't just sit around. They travel as well uh, throughout our ocean currents and our wind, uh, and also through the land as well. And so, for me, you know, I started right at the beginning as to how these chemicals started to to happen. So the chemical revolution, which was also called the Green Revolution, uh, oddly enough, happened approximately 70 or 80 years ago, depending on your perspective on what the first chemicals were that were coming out. Most of those were based on wartime chemicals uh, that were designed to kill things, with you know, human beings, and then they went on to use in them and resynthesize them in a way that we could kill other things and kill our way to victory. That's a perspective that we've had for a long time, um, and it hasn't worked, uh, and it really doesn't work. So for me, I started saying, if I have 232 synthetic industrial chemicals in my body, where the heck is this stuff coming from? So I start because I'm not living next to a coal-fired plant. It's not like I'm living on top of a Superfund site. You would sit back and say, 
well, how on earth did these chemicals get into me? They're coming from our water, our food, our personal care products, our homes, our manufactured lifestyles, you know, our sofas, our televisions, our flooring, our carpeting. All of these things are made not out of thin air. They're not made out of all natural products all the time. Most of the time, they're made out of cheap synthetics. And those cheap synthetics will get into our bodies. Our bodies are tremendous at detoxing as well. But when they're bombarded every single second of every day by the same toxic chemicals repeatedly, then that could possibly become a very big problem dependent on the individual. Now, how I'm affected by chemical X and how you are affected by chemical X may vary. It may not. It may vary. But to know that we have 80,000 chemicals in our system of commerce today and only about 200 of those have been ever tested for human safety and and only only five have ever been banned to understand that that's just the way things are asbestos we all know asbestos has pretty awful properties to it mesothelioma and cancer i mean these are th- we all understand how how toxic ex- asbestos is but it's not banned and so that's the way we have to understand this this is a very big problem and just because it's out there just because you can buy it, just because you can use it, doesn't any in any way, shape, or form suggest safety. And that's where this film hopefully covers a lot of that. Interesting. Wow, that's interesting too. The the whole uh, polar bears and, and seals and things. I had, that's that's a long way for for some synthetic chemicals to to travel. I mean, just... yeah, yeah, beluga whales. Sorry. Yeah, beluga whales, which are kind of a mythic creature as it is. Um, you know, these are some of the most toxic uh, animals on the face of the planet. Their their skin is not is is water t- sealed tight, and any chemicals that get in there, they don't detox very well. And uh, so, most of their bodies, whenever they wash up on shore, have to be handled like toxic waste because their bodies are so heavily uh, compromised by toxic chemicals. You can't just walk up to it and just drag it with your bare hands. Um, so, just to understand that that's another thing that's associated with this is kind of uh, Kind of bracing. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So, what do you think? This is this is kind of an interesting perspective, and this may be. Uh, I'm just playing devil's advocate a little bit here. Please. Um, people, some people say, you know, how can something be, you know, synthetic or a chemical, or how can something be so bad when it, you know, when it comes from the earth? Like it's, you know, it's from somewhere. So how can it be that bad? I mean, you don't walk around and. In nature, and you know, have all these issues. So, how can it be? How can it turn? How can something so pure and healthy and okay turn into something crazy and, and toxic? Well, yeah, that, that's a good question. And I think the industry uses this perspective quite often. And in, in, in the, the chemical that they always use is arsenic. Now, we all know that that's in rat poison. Whether it's going to be natural or synthetic, arsenic is extremely toxic and will kill you dependent upon the amount that you're ex- exposed to. So what the industry is really, really great at is saying, hey, you know, not everything in nature is healthy. You could eat a particular kind of berry and it could kill you, right? I mean, it's not like nature is doing a great job at protecting us all the time either. You have poison ivy. You have animals that are venomous. I mean, there, there, are, there are a lot of other aspects of nature that could kill you as well. So what could be possibly so bad about our synthetic chemicals? Number one, a lot of these chemicals don't exist in nature. And whenever they're 
change. It depends if it's in a nano state as well, which just further compromises the conversation. It makes it more difficult for people to understand. But whenever it comes to what they're doing, something like a flame retardant that's in just about every single piece of furniture, it's in your side of your, your seats, your car, depending on your car. And something like a flame retardant, which is an organohalogen, does not exist in nature. So not all the so to I mean not and I appreciate your playing devil's advocate because it's a good question, but whenever they sit back and say, well, you know, there's so many tragic and to- toxic chemicals out in nature, it's almost analogous to what we're putting out, right? And and everything's at such low doses that you couldn't possibly be affected by this. Here's what people the take home message that makes it really easy for people to understand this is that when something works at parts per billion. It sounds like it's extremely small and it's infinitesimally small and it couldn't possibly affect your body. The courts are very good at making that point. Parts per billion is so small, it's about the size of one grain of rice in a rail car filled with rice. All right, so that's pretty small, right? Mm -hmm. But you know something else that works at parts per billion is the birth control pill. And look what that's capable of doing as far as controlling your hormone levels. So it prevents women from getting pregnant. It regulates their, their menstrual cycles and stuff like that. Look at that. I mean, that, that's a, that, to me, as far as one chemical working at parts per billion, that, that's what kind of an effect it could have on someone. So people need to understand that even though something might seem like it's extremely low dose at parts per billion or even parts per trillion, that does not mean that it's safe. That doesn't mean that it's going to be okay. And there was a professor at Vanderbilt that made it, Made, made another message very clear to me that, that makes it really simple for people to understand. Something like bee stings. Bee stings can be fatal depending on if you're allergic to bee stings or not, right? But most people don't really think that bee stings are a big deal. They hurt for a couple minutes and then it goes away, right? <clears throat> unless you're allergic to bee stings. Now, how do you know you're going to be allergic to a bee sting unless you get stung by a bee? And so when it comes to the chemicals that are out there right now, how do you know or how do I know or how does anyone know what could potentially be toxic or potentially even be fatal to my organism, which is myself, or that of my kids? So that's where the conversation really needs to be steered, and that's what people need to understand. I mean, those, those, that's, that's the reality that we live in. So when it comes to synthetic toxic chemicals, they're not called toxic chemicals because they're because they're, you know, will make you feel good, and, and they're going to be completely clean. Um, they're known as being toxic, and, and and here's the other thing: the reason why they're called toxic, they even started in the Toxic Substances Control Act, quote unquote, Toxic Substances Control Act, back in 1976, and it was called that because of <laughs> there were so many toxic chemicals they were trying to create some kind of regulation around it, and then, of course it fell flat in many ways, uh, but. You know, so that's where we're at today. I mean, that, that's that's that that's the situation. That's what we're looking at. Interesting. So, is there? And I know there's something. I want to forget what it's called, but I know there's a website online. It's like it's like a database for uh, pro or for components within cosmetic products, and it kind of shows you the toxicity of them. Is there some sort of database for this as a whole right now online, or not really? Yeah, it's the Skin Deep database by the Environmental Working Group. Okay. And, uh, and so you can take. Let's just say your personal care products, stuff that you're going to be using every day like deodorant, shampoo, cosmetics. You can go onto their database and the Skin Deep database and you can look up your product and you can sit back and see what's in it to an extent and you can also look at the toxicity level of it to an extent. Now to me, another aspect of it that makes this uh, extremely troubling is that we don't have the federal government supplying us with something like that. 
we have a nonprofit supplying us with something like that. And to me, I think that the government, even by that, proves that they're asleep at the wheel whenever it comes to toxic chemicals. Do you think there's a reason for that? I, I, I couldn't suggest one way or another why that would be. Um, you know, they would always come back to the same excuses. There's not enough funding. There's not enough research. There's not enough of whatever is available uh, to make this possible so we can protect people. Uh, you know, I, I think that that's, you know, classic misdirection uh, by the federal government. Um, or they sit back and say, well, the industry-funded studies that we're getting, all, all the information that we're being provided is, it looks like everything is hunky-dory and it looks like everything's safe. All these industry-funded studies suggest something very different than what you're telling me, Mr. Brown. So, right. I think, so, so we're just going to stick with that. But people have to understand, you might get thousands of industry-funded studies like about genetically engineered foods, uh, but you don't have any third-party peer-reviewed studies, so you're just going to have to base everything on what the company tells you. Right. And, and let, let's just be honest. Look at, look at General Motors right now and how well they were doing with their, <laughs> with their integrity and their ability to give everybody the truth. Um, and unfortunately, that's... And, and, and they're in a lot of trouble right now just by way of comparison. Um, you know, I just, I just don't feel like the messaging is all that clear and it's all that, it's all that pertinent whenever we look at what's really available. Right. Yeah, I mean, if, if someone's trying to sell you something, they're definitely going to uh, skew the facts and slant the opinion in their favor to, you know, unload product essentially because aren't a lot of these chemicals and things really just byproducts of, of waste in other industries? Yeah, a lot of them are, unfortunately. Uh, fluoride is something that I, I give as an example in the, in the film. And fluoride, to me, is really one of the more uh, compelling uh, stories that I had to make sure that people had an opportunity to, to see because the fluoride that's going into our water supply is not fluoride. Hydrofluorosilicic acid is what's going in most nine out of ten cases is what the product is and that's a byproduct of the phosphate fertilizer industry so to fertilize all these genetically engineered crops we need we phosphate does a great job of doing that and so and what they do in the state of Florida primarily although it's done across other states as well uh, but that's where we get a lot of our phosphate is from the state of Florida and so to dig that out to get the phosphate out of it, they need to use acid to uh, melt the rock that's around it. That when you're melting that rock with the acid, it's not like everything is still safe. So there's a lot of uh, there's a mist that comes off of that acid, and then it's it's compartmentalized and it's sealed into a chamber, and it's and then you spray water onto it. So this acid that gets water sprayed onto it is then called hydrofluorosilicic acid and there's nothing else that you can do with it. You can't just throw it in the ocean, you just can't bury it underground, you can't send it to the moon. So they just sit back and say, well, we'll hide it in plain sight and call it fluoride and it's not fluoride. Sodium fluoride is pharmaceutical grade fluoride that you get in toothpaste. This compound, however, is mimics fluoride. It has some fluoride-like properties, so they just decide to just sell it to the municipal water systems across the country, and then they just slowly put it into the water supply, and there it is. So for anybody to sit back, and still to me, to this day, I just find it staggering that 
somebody would sell us the concept but that by drinking this fluoride, this hydrofluorosilicic acid, by drinking this, my teeth are magically going to stay safe. This goes to every single cell in your body. This right. is going to your bones. This is going to your brain. It's not like this, this chemical is just going straight to your teeth and protecting them that way. Uh, so to me, that, that, that's, that's unbelievable how they get away with doing something like that. And then you also have one of the more disgusting um, byproducts that I talk about in the film is toxic sludge. And that is a waste product of our sewage system. Um, and so everything that gets flushed down the toilet, that goes down our sinks is going to be congealed, so to speak, into this mass. <clears throat> and what do you do with this stuff? I mean, because it's, it's not sanitized, it's not clean, it's, it's, it's not like everything that goes down our toilet is, for, is, is also benign. It, it, it's, it, this is an extremely toxic substance. It, it was called toxic sludge for decades because that's exactly what it is. And also to know that pharmaceutical drugs and heavy metals and pesticides and herbicides and everything and nuclear waste is all going into this as well. Uh, that makes it a pretty big problem. And uh, just to go back to our fertilization process of what we're going to be eating. So they take this toxic sludge, which was renamed biosolids just to make it sound a lot nicer, to make it sound softer because nobody wants toxic sludge on their field. Sounds but much more scientific too. Yeah, right? <laughs> I don't want toxic sludge, but biosolid sounds fine, so I'll eat that. I'll probably eat that. I mean, it sounds delicious. <laughs> sounds like I'll become a superhuman or something. <laughs> yeah, who wants So I'll take, you know, a cheeseburger with some biosolids. <laughs> well, so they take this stuff. Again, it's, it's not detoxified. I mean, it's still extremely toxic. And they take it and they put it onto 60 to 70% of the farmland across the United States. Um, so, so knowing that, things just aren't what they seem. And, uh, and that's what I wanted to get across with the film. Interesting. So, uh, fluoride, I want to just touch on that briefly because from my understanding, sodium fluoride is still a chemicalized product, but calcium fluoride is the in-nature fluoride that our body needs in very small amounts. Is that, are you familiar with calcium fluoride and sodium fluoride or, or is that just misinformation? No, no, no. It, it's nothing like that. Calcium fluoride is something I'm not terribly familiar with, so I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't even weigh in, in on his opinion, but sodium fluoride, the pharmaceutical grade sodium fluoride, that is a product that's been heavily tested. Uh, it's been heavily heavily regulated, and it does show that it, that, that certainly in in small doses and in in its use, it can have uh, very beneficial properties to someone's teeth. Um, I'm not suggesting that you use it or do not use it. I'm saying, you know, find out for yourself. But uh, to to suggest anything about calcium fluoride, I, I really don't know anything about that. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's something I want to definitely look into more now. Cause I'm yeah, yeah. Curious because I haven't I haven't heard. I the, think I will too now. I haven't heard the specific uh, hydro acid thing that you mentioned. That I <laughs> hydrofluorosilicic acid. It took me a couple years to be able to pronounce that correctly. Fully, yeah. Uh, so that's that's something I'm definitely going to look into, and it sounds interesting. And and from my understanding, sodium fluoride is is still not safe. For the body, but it's something I'm curious to look into more now. Further. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, so fluoride, toxic sludge, uh, these are obviously you know everywhere. I mean, they're they're all around us. What what things? And let's let's talk about food for a little bit. Obviously, food has uh, I get I don't know if I'd say evolved, but uh, <laughs> you know uh, changed <laughs> over time to become 
uh, faster, cheaper, packaged, bagged, boxed, canned, you know, whatever. And it's not as fresh or as healthy as it, as it once was. What, what has changed within that process? Because obviously you need, to, you need to change the food on a chemical level in order to, I would imagine, preserve it and do these different types of things. So what, what has been added? What has been taken away? And how has food changed over time? Well, you know, I think that evolve is is absolutely the best word to use with this. Um, we've really turned away from the way food used to be in a massive way. Uh, you know, just about eighty percent of the food that we eat today is processed in one way or another. Um, to understand that is to also embrace the fact that there are a lot of chemicals being pumped onto and into the food that we're putting into our mouth and our children's mouths every day. So food went from being whole foods, right? They used to make mashed potatoes. They used to make, you know, or just eat broccoli or just eat chicken or whatever it was. And today we have, you know, the McNugget. We have all, you know, all kinds of, you know, we've got French fries that are fried in genetically engineered oil. And, you know, and we, and so I, I <laughs> this is such a big topic. I could talk about it for hours, but basically what it comes down to, food today is a is a substance that we've never experienced as a human species prior. Um, in many ways, the, the chemicals that are a, a big aspect of why these things sit on the shelves, why they look the way they do, they smell the way they do, they fool us by our taste buds. And I'll give you one really good example. And um, there's a lot of really good examples, but orange juice. It looks like the healthy thing to do every single morning, right? And you look at the side of a Minute Maid container, and it will make it seem like this is an absolutely amazing product that everyone must drink every single day. And a lot of people do drink orange juice every day, right? Um, and what it comes down to today is that oranges, whenever the, so what you're drinking is not orange juice, even if it says 100% orange juice on the side of it. Um, unless it's organic and not from concentrate, you're not drinking real orange juice. Why? Because these oranges, when they're, when they're juiced, they sit into aseptic tanks for up to a year. The bacteria is killed in it. A year? A year. <laughs> they, sit in wow. the, they sit in tanks for up to a year. Um, the bacteria is killed in it, and they don't have much flavor anymore. It's all in concentrate form. And then whenever it's reconstituted with water, seeing that there's not much flavor left in this stuff, they put something called flavor packets into the juice. They also can put pulp into it if they choose to. Flavor packets um, have some chemicals uh, associated with it, uh, but it's from orange zest. It's from orange peel. And what they have to do to try, you know, and they also need an aromatic aspect of it, so it smells like orange juice as well. So all these things are put into the product, and then it's sent out en masse, and then it will sit on your store shelves for potentially weeks. And everybody needs to understand that that's probably the best example of what we're doing to ourselves, what we're drinking every day in orange juice. It couldn't, I mean, it could come further from the truth. But that is not what it is, and, and people need to really embrace that fact. So once you do that, and that's a common product that everybody uses, and that's the one I like to, to use with everybody. Once you embrace that fact, you'll start to look at other things a lot differently as well because they're not what they seem to be. 
Yeah, that's really interesting too because recently on the podcast, <laughs> uh, I had uh, Jason and Mira Colton on the show, and they're nutritionists and uh, you know health and nutrition coaches, and and they talked about there's a chemical that is specifically only approved for the orange peel to dye it for it to be orange in color and it's a toxic chemical and that's literally the only use it's approved for uh, so it's kind of interesting that even you know well for example orange juice but then even you're eating the orange and or if you juice the orange at home you know you might juice the peel because you think oh the peel is is good and it has some nutrition in it you're you're still you're putting that juice into are you putting that chemical into your juice and that toxin? So that's very, very interesting. And a year waiting time. Wow, that's it's incredible. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's unsettling. Yeah, it's a little bit. You wonder what what's what's going on in that tank for a year. I mean, wow. Um, <laughs> so so okay. So beyond that, I mean, what there's you know, food has completely changed. I mean, it's not. And it's interesting too because I've lived in Costa Rica twice now, and and it's kind of cool there. The the saying in the country is pura vida, which means pure life, and they really, it's hard to understand just you know pure life. What does that mean? But when you live there and you kind of live in that atmosphere and environment, you really start to kind of soak in that essence and that energy, and and you see the way the people live, and you start to realize wow, there's much more purity and bliss in 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 that natural sustainable uh, ecology than there is in this uh, fast food instant gratification society we live in in America and one of the things I realized there was the the soil was so much it, it was so it was a different color it was a completely different world and I would shop at the farmer's market and the the celery would be really green and the celery here is white and <laughs> it, it, it's just a completely different world so how yeah. how is chemicals and, and things like that and and uh, you know fertilizers and things like that. How have that affected our environment, which affects the food that is created, and what's what's happening here now? Well, our I mean that's a great example. I wish I could say that I lived in Costa Rica for any point in time, but um, what it comes down to is our topsoil. Over the course of the next sixty years, what we're assuming at this point, or at least with the, the long term prognosis, is that our topsoil that we're growing our food in is going to be pretty toxified by that point that it might be very difficult to grow anything. Um, that sounds scary and it, and it should be an overwhelming statistic that most people have to understand is that we're doing this, we're beating the, the soil into submission every single growing season and that's not going to work for this planet. That's certainly not going to work for us. I mean, we, we all too often as human beings, as human beings we embrace short-term gains over long-term losses every single time. I don't know why we operate that way. We don't see the long-term in the, in the way that we should oftentimes. We only sit back and say, what can be done right now? We'll worry about that some other day. And we do that in a lot of aspects of our lives. But to me, this is the one thing, as far as our environment is concerned, that we shouldn't be concerned about it. We should sit back and we have to. That's why whenever I talk about this, I don't know what could possibly be worse. I don't know what could I don't know where what other conversation we should be having at this point. We're talking about the fate of our entire civilization. And it's in our hands. And we can make a lot of the right choices right now. I might not be around in 60 years, but my kids and my grandchildren will be. And we can't give them this problem. And you know, all, and all too often, the federal government and companies will sit back and say, "A problem is a problem 
to be innovated out of. So if we've created a problem, that's great. Then more jobs can be created. More wealth can be distributed. More investment can be made to try to get us out of the problem, right? And right. Which, will, which will only create other problems unless we actually address the real issues that we're looking at. Our topsoil is toxified, and it's getting more so every single year. It's not like by spraying pesticides on a, uh, on a thousand acres every single year doesn't have some kind of an effect. If you do that for 40 years and you keep putting toxic sludge on it and then you keep putting whatever else on it, I mean, your, your soil isn't going to respond anymore. That's why things are working out the way they are today with super weeds um, and, and other aspects of what, what's going on with our, our food supply. I mean, th th this is something that, and, and of course, water being a major uh, storyline in the state of California where we get a lot of our food from right now. I mean, that's another thing that we have to really take deep consideration of. What we're really doing every single day is not magic. Um, it's not super science. What we're dealing with right now is reality. And people need to really get, come to terms with where we're at right now with, with that reality. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's a, that's a very, very interesting uh, insight. The, <coughs> we, we always pursue short-term short -term gains in... in and knowing, you know, and understanding that that will be a long-term loss, or maybe not even understanding that, but just pursuing short-term gain, and it ends up being a long-term loss because of not seeing the full picture, the the vision from a from a bird's eye view. Um, so that's that's very interesting, and the, and the innovation part is interesting too because one of the things that, and I was actually going to ask you about this, so I'm glad you brought that up. What it's interesting because you know, for example, flora or I don't even know what the term is, hydro something, sol, acid or something, <laughs> yeah. the, the fake fluoride. <laughs> um, it's interesting that, you know, all these, these things, toxic sludge and all these different things are added to our food and our water and our environment. And there's companies now that are creating products to remove these things. So you have water purification products, you have, uh, you know, uh, different superfoods and supplements and things like that. So it's good because it helps to restore some balance, but at the same time, it's just more product production. And I have, you know, I have a shower filter for my shower to remove things, and I have a drinking shower or a drinking water filter, but they're made out of plastic, you know. So it's 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 like, you know, they're one of them's BPA free. I know, but you know, does that really? Is that really? I mean, it may help me, yes, and that's great. But at the same time, how how is that solving the core root seed problem? You know, so. Um, that is interesting, and I think you know people like you bringing awareness to this will hopefully spark some innovation and ideas for uh, people who want the world to be a more sustainable place. Um, so, yeah. and you and you actually have uh, you had Ralph Nader in your documentary. How'd you make that happen? Oh, I was persistent with Ralph. I wasn't taking no for an answer with that guy. <laughs> he's he's a hero of mine, and he he should be a hero to all of us at all times. I mean. Even if you just take what he did, if, even if you just look at what he did for the automotive industry and how many lives were saved because of his efforts and his team's efforts and, and, and everything that he had done to protect people, um, to me, the guy deserves nothing but the utmost credit. Um, you know, it, it's unfortunate that his you know legacy seems to be uh, derided by a lot of people who were angry at him in 2000. However, to me... Here's a guy who worked really hard again. Just, he, he just wanted to protect people.
And that was that was the the reason of his existence. And if we could all say something like that, and if we could all accomplish something even remotely close to what Ralph was able to, though I dare I say what kind of world would we be living in right now? But anyway, so his his assistant kept saying over and over again that he didn't have time. Uh this was over the course of probably a year and a half. And then uh one day he got a new assistant. And she, I guess, maybe didn't know any better, uh, but he, she checked his schedule and said, "Okay, well, there's an opening, and why don't you come down and film?" So here, I, I got, I got lucky, and that's just, that's just the truth. And so I went down there and uh, met with him, and uh, it was really a high water mark for my myself as an individual and for the film. That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. You didn't, you don't have to pull the. I don't take no for an answer. I'm a, you know, I'm a. <laughs> <I> should have. <laughs> You know, you'd have to pull the, you know, I'd do stand-up comedy and yeah, you know, yeah, CBS right? sports writing and do all this for nothing. I don't like enough for an answer. Um, that's that's really cool. And that's cool to see that, too, because it's it really gives you, it really gives your film a lot of uh, credibility and authority because it's so personal. But then, you know, Ralph Nader's on the screen. You're like, whoa, this is, this is not, I didn't expect this. So it's kind of, yeah. it's, it's pretty cool. And it's, it's cool to have that perspective, too, that how you, you bring the, the, the living, the, you know, living with your family, but then also the uh, the economic and uh, corporate angle of it, and then also the uh, governmental angle and how, how kind of how each of these interact. Because I think that's one thing that you you did really well, and I'd, I'd love to hear your take on this. Is it seems like people live and breathe in their world, and that's all they care about. So if they work for you know the automotive industry, they that's what they care about, and they live their lives with their family, and they don't see how the government's, their role, they don't see how other corporations play a role, they, they just don't care. And, and, and it's sad because it's, if they knew how their lives were being affected on every level, I mean, you could go into from financial to health to, you know, on and on and on, um, to, their, to their very freedoms and existence in this country. But it, why do you feel like that big picture is so important and why do you think people need to expand and, and see really everything as a whole? Well, that's a great point because I, I live in coal country in central Pennsylvania. I mean, you can drive down the interstate uh, and all you'll see, well, a lot of the billboards you'll see have something to do with coal and chastising the current administration about coal. And I sit back and I say to everybody, you know, whether you're working in coal, whether you're working in creating BPA or you're growing GMOs, everybody has to understand this is everyone's problem as far as your health is concerned and nobody wants this to be their problem and I understand about jobs I understand the I mean the absolute overwhelming fear that somebody must feel if their job is going to be threatened and that means their livelihood is threatened and they can't take care of their families if something changes Right, I mean that's that's really what it comes down to, and politicians don't want to be the ones who sit back and make those tough choices to say we just can't deal with coal anymore. All right, this, you know, a coal-fired plant puts mercury into the air around it, and it and not just around it, but I mean, again, this 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 is a this is extremely toxic heavy metal that that can travel. This is just an example, by the way. So mercury will go into the air. Who's that going to affect? What is that going to affect? I mean, could it be somebody's child that actually owns the coal-fired plant? Would they, would they pay more attention to it then? So we don't – I'm sitting back and saying I don't want anybody's kid to get sick. 
And I'm, I'm also sitting back and saying, we've made the choice to get into this type of technology. We can make better choices to get out of it as well. I'm not saying put somebody's job on the slab and cut them loose and then just see what happens, right? I'm not trying to sit back and say that they should be welfare recipients and they, they should be subject to just getting funding from the federal government every step of the way either. I'm sitting back and saying to everybody, look, if so many aspects are detrimental that, that we've been doing for a long time that are detrimental to everyone's health, how could we justify that over the long term? We can't. We just can't. I don't care how anybody sits back and pours that down my throat by saying, well, look, what else could we do? Shrug their shoulders and say, well, you know, this is just how it is. This isn't how it has to be, is my point. Yeah, yeah sure, this, point. Is how, this is how it is today, but that's not how it has to be. We can change it, for God's sake. I mean, that, that's, that's the power that we have as human beings, right? So that's where we have to lead this new generation of people to think differently, to act differently, and to be different. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's a great point. How it is is not how it has to be. That's couldn't have said it better myself. That's that's uh, awesome. Uh, uh, I just came up with that, and this is early and <laughs> hey, early to rise. Uh, <coughs> yeah, that, that's that's a great point, and that and you know the other point you made too: short term gains and long term loss, and and that I think are just like very 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 important for for everyone to understand because that that's. Understand, seeing the connection between us and everyone else and seeing how everything affects everything is, is critical. It's very important. It's, it's an important part of life. And one of the things I've found in my life, just to feel like I should say this because it may help someone listening, is every single time in my life where I've been economically distraught, I mean, literally one time my bank account went below negative. I rode my bike to the bank to cash a check for like $40 to get it above negative. I still had a roof over my head and I still survived and I still had food. I, I don't, I think if you have, if you have a heart and you have the ability to give and serve and, and be of service to the world in some way, you're always going to be taken care of and there's, you're never going to go without, you're never going to lack. So I think part of the transition too is just, you know, releasing and, and not allowing, you know, fear to control your lives because, you know, fear of, you know, oh, I could lose my job, fear of, oh, you know, this and that. And the other thing too is maybe even like, you know, hearing all this, you know, at first, you know, the truth, you know, the truth sets you free, quote unquote, but at first the truth might be painful and irritating, you know, it doesn't, you know, when you hear about this, you're like, you know, there's, there's this in my water, there's this in my food, there's this in my life, what am I supposed to do about it? So that brings me to my, to my next question, what, what can we do and what have you and your family done to create changes in your life to live a more sustainable and balanced life? You know, it always starts, and I, and by the way, I mean, I think that's great. Your account only went below negative once. Mine has probably been in the hundreds of times that that has happened. To <laughs> and look at you now. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I dig it, man. I, I, I live, I live that way for a long time. So, uh, and for anybody to sit back and think I'm sitting on this massive pile of money because I, I made a film that that couldn't be further from the truth either. But anyway. Um, what it comes down to for, for, for myself, the changes that we had to start, had to start with what were we doing every day. So the food that I'm putting into my mouth, the water that I'm drinking, you know, the products that we're using that we're smearing on ourselves and onto our children, things that we're taking a bath with, we have to change those things immediately. And we did. We changed them quickly. Uh, but I want everybody to understand that this doesn't have to happen overnight, but if you pick something 
pick one thing and you make it a permanent change. This isn't a diet. Diets are about the worst thing to, <laughs> for us to be trained by as far as change is concerned because a lot of people want to go on a diet. They go on it for a little while. Maybe they see some results and they go back to doing what they were doing. For me, one in every two people in this, in this, in this country have cancer today. That's a real statistic. That's 50% of the population. One in every 330 children have cancer. One in every 68 children have autism. And to me, those are, those are real hard facts that nobody can deny and nobody should sit back and accept as being normal. It's not normal. So for everybody to sit back and scream and cry and moan about jobs and job creation and the aspects of what those, how they play into our civilization and our society have to understand that this isn't okay. And we're spending an astronomical amount of money, $2.3 trillion a year to treat our diseases. Trillion dollars a year. So how about that as a statistic when we consider job creation and what this, what this is going to do our economy if we live healthy lives. So for me, Productivity comes from being healthy, right? So for me, I sit back and say, I'm only going to eat organic food. I'm just going to. I just want clean organic food. I just don't want anything else. Why? I don't want to get sick. And I certainly don't want my kids to get sick. I don't want to drink water that has over 280 different contaminants, completely unregulated, by the way. And you don't have any idea to know what amounts of those are going to be going in your body. I don't want to drink water like that. And it's not like bottled water is all that great. And it's certainly not an acceptable alternative. Right, we have to sit back and, and say what are our personal care products. I don't want aluminum going into my armpits in my deodorant. I don't want, you know, all these other kinds. I don't want fragrance, which could be up to 2,000 different toxic chemicals. Just that one word, fragrance on the side of a shampoo bottle. I don't want 2,000 up to what could be up to 2,000 different toxic chemicals going into my child. I just don't. You know why? Because they're toxic <laughs> right? right, that's simple to understand. And it so doesn't attract me to a woman anymore. I just have to say that, ladies, just yeah. so you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's too much. It's, yeah, it's over, right. It's overbearing. Sorry, yeah. continue. <laughs> it's all good. But anyway, so you know, just those are the things that we have to always be conscious of. Our buying decisions. Here's the thing. So our buying decisions every single year are affecting change. How do we know this? By buying organic as much as we, I have and as much as my family has and other people across the country have. Look at what's doing to the entire industry. It's, it's the only aspect of agriculture and food that is growing. That's it, literally. It's the only one. And the major companies out there have recognized that fact. Okay. So by our pressure as consumers – and what we're doing with our dollars right now every single day, it's changing the way we eat. It's pushing companies to do better. A, a company like Chipotle, yeah. look at their shares the past quarter and look at McDonald's shares the past quarter. People don't want junk in their bodies anymore. They don't want garbage in their bodies. Why? It makes me feel bad. It makes me feel gross. It makes me look bad. It makes me smell bad. It makes me act in a different way. Then I'd like to. I don't feel as happy when I'm putting garbage. Oh, look, and here's the other thing: you put garbage in. What do you expect to get out of it? Garbage. Easy to understand, right? Yeah. Garbage. So, to me, those are wholesale changes we made. And if enough people do it, I promise you, I promise, 
there won't be a lot. There won't be talking about loss of jobs. We'll talk about all the new jobs that were created by doing what we're doing is the right thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I agree, hundred percent. That's it's a great point, and uh, it's it's very interesting. And, and the work that you do is very inspiring. What uh, I want to chat a bit, if it's cool with you, about your next project. What are you working on next, and uh, where uh, what's going on with that? Yeah, so I just started a new film. Uh, I didn't. Th I thought I was going to be getting out of toxic chemicals, but it seems like I'm not going to be able to. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm going to be talking about one that's been on the market for over 40 years, and it's an herbicide. It's called glyphosate. And what I want to do is get this chemical banned because to understand that an herbicide, which is designed to kill bacteria in plants, is also killing bacteria in ourselves. Uh, our bodies. Uh, our bacteria outnumber our cells 10 to 1 and our bacteria plays an extremely important aspect in digestion and other facets of our ability to survive. We need our beneficial bacteria inside of our bodies. That's why yogurt is so well received um, across, the, uh, across the globe and that's another thing that they try to certainly let you know about is the probiotics and how that play into it. But also to understand that this herbicide, it's it, and the film is called a new resistance, uh, and that's what I want to create. It's a movement, uh, and it has to be. So, in our resistance to this chemical, and I'm going after a chemical. I'm not going after a company. I'm going after a specific chemical to get this thing off the shelves. And EPA is going to make a really big decision next year um, to revoke or renew the license of glyphosate. Glyphosate is the active ingredient in Roundup and over two thousand other products that are on the shelves today. And it's not just Monsanto that's making it, uh, as they don't even own the patent to it. So what it comes down to is I want to get this chemical out of our bodies. It's in breast milk, and it's going into our babies, and it's in infant formula. If you're buying non-organic infant formula, it's going to be in the form of GMOs. And uh, so this is something that we need to take really, really seriously because our digestive health plays such a major role in what our bodies are doing every, every moment of every day, whether we accept that or not. That's the truth. There was a Scientific American article that was just published a couple months ago that states very clearly that our digestive system is our second brain, uh, and it's of the utmost importance. So we've got to protect this, and to know that this herbicide going into our body is killing bacteria inside of us, and that's gonna, and that's affecting us very adversely. Um, it's 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 my mission, and, and hopefully. It'll be a movement big enough to make sure that this chemical is something that we are going to be talking about uh, in the rearview mirror uh, in a very short amount of time. Because if we do not get this thing revoked, if it's renewed again, we'll have to live with this chemical for another 15 years. And just to give everybody a little bit of information, um, and I'm not saying that this herbicide is directly attributed to autism, but just so everybody knows that in the next 20 years, if, if unabated, our, our, our autism rates... Children born in 2034, one in every two children will have autism at that point. But the other thing we do know right now is that this herbicide lowers sperm counts. And right now, today, we're experiencing in this country, the United States, the, the highest rate of infertility in recorded history. So that's another wow. reason why I think that this film is uh, really important. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's a great point, too, the, the brain in your gut. And like you mentioned earlier, you know, what, if you put junk in, what comes out, you know, junk or whatever. <laughs> it's, if, you're, if you're feeding your body junk food and, and things that don't feed your health and well-being, you don't have that bacteria in your gut. And, there's, and I'm, I'm sure everyone, well, maybe not everyone, but most people in their lives have had a strong gut feeling. 
And I find it interesting that if you're healthy, that gut feeling seems to be more correct uh, because I can look back at my life and, you know, I've had, I remember one time specifically I had this bad gut feeling about buying this car and I bought it anyway because I needed it for this new job. And like a month later, it just breaks down. It was like a $2,000 fix. And I was like, I knew it. And at that point in my life, I was not healthy. I was not, I didn't, I didn't listen to myself. And it's, it's interesting that I just, it's like there was an internal disagreement and I should have, you know, if I, I think if I was more balanced and healthy, I would have just been like, no, you know, I'll, I'll find another car. It's going to work out. So it is interesting. And I, and even the soil, for example, there's a, a Michigan State University uh, created a organic uh, OMRI listed uh, microbe for the soil to reinstill good bacteria back into the soil because people may not realize this, but soil is alive and soil, you know, when you put chemicals and fertilizers on it, it kills that bacteria, which is part of the reason the soil is no longer fertile. So that good bacteria, and I just, it's huge and it, and it makes a lot yeah. of sense. And, and to make the right decisions and, and, to, and to just feel better and feel more alert and aware and clear headed. And, and I can tell by talking to you that you don't, you know, you're not, you're not going out and eating McDonald's every day. We wouldn't be able to have this <laughs> conversation. So uh, I, I really appreciate the work, the work that you do. I think that people like you do deserve to sit on piles of money because I know that that pile of money that you're sitting on will be able to help more people and, and turn into new films and new things. So um, for everyone listening, please support his work. Go and buy the Unacceptable Levels documentary. I promise you it will be engaging, rewarding, fulfilling. You will learn things from it. You and your family will be healthier and more sustainable because of it. And it's something that it's, it's much needed. And if, if, you're, if any of these things sound interesting to you or you just want to learn more, this documentary really is really going to shed the light on a lot of things for you. So um, thank you so much for your time, Ed. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience uh, that's going on or anything important that you'd like to share? Well, you know, the only thing I would sit back and say is please support David and let people know what, what an amazing job and what a great interviewer and what a great podcast this is. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And you're the type of individual that certainly needs to get a lot of support too. And hopefully you're going to be a, a you know, world-renowned name very soon because you're very dedicated as well. And I appreciate all the accolades and all the praise you've given me. But I always try to reflect it or deflect it back onto everybody as much as I can because we're all in this together, everybody. It's not just me. It's, it's David and it's, and it's you. And we're all going to play an important part in our future. Uh, we're not going to be sitting on the sidelines anymore. And so and we don't have that choice now. Uh, we did that for long enough and we can see the results of it. So, David, uh, kudos to you and all of your work as well. And uh, collaboratively together, we're going to make the world a better place. I'm sure of it. I appreciate it, man. That's I really appreciate it. And once again, keep up the great work. Where can our listeners find your work online right now? They can just go to unacceptablelevels.com or they can check a New Resistance out on Facebook. Uh, the New Resistance website isn't built yet, uh, but we're working on it right now. And uh, so we'll, hopefully we'll be able to get as much information up as we can. But unacceptablelevels.com is rocking right now, so go check that out when you get a chance. Cool. Thanks a lot, man. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right, you too, David. Thank you. Take care. All right.